This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. The British economic historian Arnold Toynbee once said, civilizations die from suicide, not by murder. And if we apply that maxim to our own civilization, the future can look very bleak indeed. And yet only the Lord knows the future, and it's all in his hands. You think of David in Psalm 3 saying, O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. My next guest assures us that despite what's been going on in our culture of late, now is not the time for fear, it is a time for fear faith. And so we're going to talk about it today with Dr. Michael Youssef, founder of the Church of the Apostles, the launching pad for his great international ministry, Leading the Way. And he is the author of more than 30 books, including his latest, which we'll be discussing, Hope for This Present Crisis. And so good to talk to you again, Dr. Youssef. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Janet. Good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Well, you bet. It has been quite a year. I think it's hard for any of us to remember a year quite like the last one we've lived through. What is your assessment, basically, of where our country is right now, spiritually, morally, politically? How do you see this country from a biblical perspective and and in the context of kind of the moment of crisis we're in? Well, I think uh, from a a wider perspective, from a national perspective, uh, as you know, I, I'm an immigrant to this country. I was born in Africa, and, uh, and therefore I have a, a different perspective. I have a different view, even from the people who were born here and, and what I consider privileged being born, <laughs> born in America. Yes. And it doesn't matter what color of your skin. If you live in America, you're American, you are privileged, just period. Trust me, I know what the rest of the world is like. And so I am seeing from a national perspective, we seem to be departing as a nation from our moorings. We're literally departed shore. uh, And now the latest statistic is less than half of the population actually belong to some sort of a a church or even a religion. Yes, that's right. But from a, a... a micro perspective when I speak about the elect of God, uh, that is a group of people that only God knows who they are, whose names written in the book of life. And that's really who my focus is. I am not uh, trying to, uh, I sure would love an atheist and agnostic and secularist to repent and believe in Jesus. But my focus and the focus of this book, as the Bible said, judgment begins in the household of God. So I'm focusing on the, on the horrors of the walk culture and cancel culture and uh, the critical theory that have invaded the Church of Jesus Christ. Yes. I understand it out there in the culture at large and politics and so forth, and that's a different day, and a, it's a subject for a different book. But this book is, is speaking the, to, the, to the Church of Jesus Christ uh, who, particularly the so-called evangelicals, who 
have departed from the preaching of the one true gospel that faith was once delivered, as Jude said, and now preaching wokeism, and they're preaching social justice, and they're preaching all kinds of false gospels. Yes. And that is actually what led us to where we are, because I've often believed, and I may have said this to you before, that as goes the pulpit, so goes the pew, and as goes the pew, so goes the culture. That's right. And so we really are the instrument of, that brought the culture to this, to this dreadful uh, condition we're in. But Why, at the that's... same token, culture will not repent until we, uh, the, the, in the church and, and those of us in the pulpit, go back to the truth and upholding the truth, proclaiming the truth, and, 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 um, and, and living the truth. Well, amen to that. I, I'm wondering what your perspective is, Dr. Youssef, on why it is that the church has been so accepting in so many quarters of this woke gospel, this critical race theory, progressivism, cancel culture nonsense that has absolutely invaded, as you mentioned, so many of our congregations and denominations. Where have we gone wrong in terms of losing our spiritual strength and most importantly, our biblical conviction on what the gospel really is and what God's word actually says. We could refute this stuff and thank the Lord, a lot of great Christians are doing this, but not enough. Why have we been so susceptible, in your opinion, to these lies? Very simply, we live in this called celebrity culture. That celebrity culture has invaded the church, and so many of a celebrity preacher is now far more concerned about his image and how they come across uh, and whether people like them or not than what will Jesus say to them on the day of the audience of one. And that's really the bottom line. And if I'm I'm misjudging, uh, uh, certainly not everybody, I'm saying there are some who are continuously faithfully preaching the gospel, and I thank God for them. I know who they are, and, and they know who I am, and I thank God for that. But I'm talking about those who have begun to apologize for once preaching biblical truth, and now they're turning their back on it. I'm talking about people who once preached the gospel, now they say, well, you know, let's just get unhitched from the Old Testament. Yeah. I'm talking about <laughs> folks who have once walked with Jesus and trusted Jesus for their ministry, but once they become a celebrity, that takes over, and that becomes the mechanism and the vehicle by which they operate and they conduct their ministry instead of continuing like where they started. Go back to where, that's where Revelation says, go back to where you have fallen. And I am pleading through the pages of this book that for believers to go back to their first love, go back to the truth of the gospel, because once you compromise the truth of the gospel, uh, we, we're, we're lost, we're doomed. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so that, that's the cry of my heart uh, from the pages of this book, Hope for, present, uh, for This Present Crisis. You're right. Uh, celebrity culture is out of control, and, and that's exactly what's going on. When you say that Muslim thinkers, this really struck me, this is why I wanted to bring it up with you. You said that Muslim yeah. thinkers, you know, have told you that the West is falling because of the decline of Christianity. It's very interesting because we are facing more and more kind of soft persecution in certain ways. You have some lawsuits here and there. You have some churches being, you know, kind of strong-armed in some situations. It's not nearly as bad as it is in other parts of the world, certainly. But they look upon Christians as the enemy, and Christians are a problem, and increasingly they want to cancel Christians in many, many ways. 
Have we well, brought that on ourselves in some ways? Sure. Well, for the Muslims, uh, their confusion, particularly the, the, uh, the, the Islamists, not the average Muslim, and I have many friends who are, they're really more secularist, and they're not really, and they just kind of, you know, want, don't, don't want to get even involved in religion. But I'm talking about the Islamists, those people who are doing the thinking and the writing, particularly in Europe, they're the ones who see no distinction between the West and Christianity. It's Christianity that caused the West uh, to fall morally, uh, spiritually, and therefore the vacuum is created. And they are the ones, they feel they are Allah's instrument to fill that vacuum yes. and to bring Islam and the Sharia into to bear in and it's happening i mean it's happening in all parliaments uh, in europe and uh, and in canada united states they are being elected into office and they only have one agenda and that is to uh, say look the only hope is the sharia implementing the sharia you know yes. chop the heads kill uh, honor killing and all that they think this is the only way to overcome the 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 sleaze of immorality that has crept into the West. So that that's a whole different group of people altogether who are sitting there waiting to see the 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 the, the bird fall so they can the, the jump on it. Well, you're right. You're right, and I think we're going to see more of that in the coming days. But this is why it's so important for us to talk about what you've called this seven-step path to restoring a world gone mad, because certainly the Lord loves His church. He loves the world. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, to die on that cross and to rise again from the dead. So there's a lot more to talk about in terms of hope for this present crisis. It's the name of the book from Dr. Michael Youssef. We'll be coming back on Janet Meffer today after this. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options 
options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It is always great to talk to Dr. Michael Youssef from the great ministry Leading the Way, and he's also founder of the Church of the Apostles. He's out with a great new book called Hope for This Present Crisis, The Seven-Step Path to Restoring a World Gone Mad. You were stressing, Dr. Youssef, before we went to the break, that you are concerned with the elect of God, and, and these are the ones that only God knows for sure. We know those of us who know Jesus Christ, but there are still more to bring in before the end. And we have to remember that God loves us, that God does not change, that God hears our prayers, that there is always hope as long as there is the Lord. What about some of these steps that you've mentioned, beginning with remembering the truth? Yes, because in fact, as you kindly have mentioned, those seven, as you look at them closely, you see that the book ended. The book ended between the truth and the church. Everything is in between, whether it be education and, uh, and uh, liberty and freedom and, and everything else that I, I, I deal with. It, it, because it, everything has to begin with the truth. Yes. It's the truth that is the foundational uh, cornerstone to any edifice, whether it be political or business or church. But certainly the Church of Jesus Christ, when you depart from the truth and you have pastors as, uh, are departing from the absolute biblical orthodoxy, and they said, well, I mean, a mega church pastor recently in, in uh, Tennessee just came out and said, well, the Bible is not the Word of God. Well, yes. I mean, that is just the latest of so many are coming out that way. Yes. And so uh, my, my, my fear, my, my concern immediately goes for the sheep. I remember several times in the Bible, you know, Jesus kind of has this compassion. They're like sheep without shepherd. Mm. And when the shepherd themselves uh, are a sellout and leave the sheep uh, uh, open for, you know, to the wolves to come in and, and, and devour them, that, that's what breaks my heart and, and causes me sometimes to even shed a tear or two. Me too. And that's who I'm, I'm, I, I'm really trying to encourage and motivate and say, look, if you are in one of these churches... You either, if you're in a place to make a difference, if you're in a place to make the change, uh, then do it. If you're not, then put on your Nikes and get out and run. <laughs> right. Uh, because it's yes. just, it's yes. going to infect you and it's going to infect your family and it's going to eventually uh, uh, impact your love for Jesus. And so the truth is, especially the truth of the gospel, which now, again, is fa- fashionable, what I used to hear in my old mainline denominations. 35 years ago, where Jesus is just a way, and God is so big, he can have just one way, surely you can't limit God, he's, not, he's a limitless God, and they use this kind of emotive language. Now I'm hearing that in the evangelical church. I know. Well, who are we to judge, and we can't, <sighs> can't really judge, and we, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Hurt feelings? I'd rather hurt somebody's feeling and take him to heaven than, than make him feel good and go to hell. Amen. <laughs> That's just... But Amen. people are worried about feelings. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. 
Jesus didn't concern much about the feelings of the Pharisees. No, no, not at all. Well, again, uh, maybe people have taken that admonition from that pastor you mentioned, who we won't name, but everybody knows who it is, uh, to unhitch from the Old Testament. When when people unhitch from the Bible, particularly the shepherds, as you said, uh, who are sellouts, then it affects the congregations, and and perhaps there are additional reasons why we're seeing church membership falling. Uh, some of those numbers, I don't know this for a fact, but some of those numbers may even be tied to this problem of, I because I, I hear this from Christians all the time, I can't find a good church. I can't find a church that preaches the gospel and teaches the Bible faithfully. What do I do? I mean, we really are in difficult times. I know, and you know this uh, pandemic in 2020 really kind of... Um I call it like the, the tea bag that got into hot water. It revealed a lot of things that were hidden for quite a while. Yes. It revealed for us, for example, who are the leaders who have um, a, a, a proclivity to dictatorship yep. and uh, how they exercise that uh, the godless leadership in, in politics and in church. And so uh, there are a lot of good things that happen, as far as I'm concerned, uh, our church has never been more blessed of God in the last 34 years of history than we have been during 2020. Right. Uh, in every way, I mean, soul winning, the, uh, the, the finances, everything, God, just God is blessing us out of our socks. And I'm, I am convinced now that part of the good that happened when that uh, tea bag got into the hot water is it's now revealing, you know, to, to, uh, to deceive people soft language to make lull people into thinking that they really are biblically orthodox and they're not. And so there are a lot of good things happen as a result of that. We now, I believe, God is beginning to separate the sheep from the goats. Yes. And we need, and look, when I see, I have a ministry, as you know, in the Arabic-speaking world, a television station, 24-7, 200 million homes called Kingdom Set. So I'm in touch with people all over the Arabic-speaking world, in Australia and elsewhere. They have it in Europe. They have it in, in, in many countries. And, and when I see people, young people, professional, uh, successful young people, who converting to Christ, knowing that the moment they will hit the water of baptism, they will be uh, signed their death warrant. Wow. And yet they do it with joy, and they're very happy to tell me about it when I, I meet with them face-to-face, and they tell me their story. And, and yet here, in the pampered church in the West, if you can't get a good parking space or a good seat, they say, hey, I'm just staying home today. <sighs> so I really believe that God is gathering His remnant. He's bringing them from every corner of the globe, and, and, and I see it also among the, the true believers here in the West. They are more dedicated. I've, I've never seen in 43 years I've been in this country, more people are really happy for the Lord to come back. In the past, we said, oh, no, I don't want to come back yet. I've got so many things to do. Now they're saying, yes, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. (laughs) I know. I know. I've been saying it with much more vigor than I might have before 2020. Please, Lord, let it be today. Please, please come back. No, you're right about that. And that that is a sign that's very encouraging. And I do think you're right about the remnant. And, And this kind of ties into what you were mentioning before. As we see the civilization going downhill and we're seeing it with ever-increasing speed, I would argue. One of the things that you mentioned in your second step, which is restoring the soul, is you mentioned don't fear the world and its persecution. American Christians may well experience persecution in the coming days. What would you say to Christians about standing firm 
in the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever's ahead. As a matter of fact, uh, we began this year, 2021, our vision of transferring the whole truth to the next generation, and we're training everyone from the children all the way to adults of what to do. Uh, you know, I am thankful. Uh, I never thought I would, I would say this one day, that I'm thankful for the first 18 years of my life where I lived under persecution, mm. where I lived under the cover of a solid evangelical Bible-believing home where the training was so solid to what it means for us to stand up for the truth and not to compromise the truth and not to accept uh, the, 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 what they try to do is you know, bribery or opportunities to go ahead if you, uh, if, you don't, if you just compromise your faith. All of that I grew up with. So I've, I've, I've had some training grounds growing up, and I'm hoping and I'm working on to get that transformed to this generation here in America. I never thought I'll see the day, but here we are. That how are we going, and the leadership is beginning to really examine this very closely. How are we going to survive under a very tyrannical, anti-Christian culture? We're seeing these social media moguls who are billionaires, and now they are in control. The elite are now taking over, and they can cancel us. They can uh, persecute us. And then we've got the media and, and, and certainly the current government on their side. So how are we to stand up? And one of the main things we need to teach our children, and we've done it with ours, and now I'm doing it with my grandchildren, is know that it is God's approval that you really must seek above all, because... This is where you're going to spend eternity. This is not going to spend 70, 80, 90, or 100 years. You're going to spend your forever. So you want to please him and not your teacher and not your friends. And, um, and, so, uh, and the second thing which I already told you is that basically we need to guard against false teaching. Yes, we do. You know, if, if you're hearing false teaching, I can't find a Bible-believing church. There is one somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Get in touch with us. Yep. <laughs> We'll find you one wherever you live. And, uh, and so we, we need to be very, very firm. Well, it's like years ago uh, when I was part of the Episcopal Church, and I was uh, this very high government official in Georgia, and this is, again, 30 years ago. And he said to me, he said, you know, I, I, would, I would get out, of, but my grandmother was buried in, in that church and so forth. I said, listen, if your grandmother knows what is happening to that church, she will literally get up and run out of the grave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, you know, don't just sit there and say, well, it's my denomination, it's my church, my father's church, my grandmother's church. Well, you are going to be accountable for yourself. And so it is very important to make decisions that are based on God's truth, not on what is popular. And in, in the end, fearing, fear is a, is a, is a terrible uh, uh, disease, and it is it is it is really infectious, very very highly infectious disease, yes. and will affect people very quickly, and will can pass from one to one to one, and so we need to understand that fear is a spirit, it's an evil spirit, and uh, wants to infect people in order to keep them ineffective for God, and so you you, you basically um, stop fearing. Say God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He's That's given right. us the spirit of love and, and self-control. 
And uh, because, again, I go the eternal destiny. Remember the eternal destiny. That's it. Because in the end, that's really what matters. Amen. That's so well said, Dr. Youssef. Dr. Michael Youssef, the great book, Hope for This Present Crisis. Thanks again for being here, Dr. Youssef. God bless you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. You take care. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Here's an important question. Should a university be able to force a Christian professor to use the wrong pronouns to describe gender-confused individuals? No, according to a recent ruling at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The court decided in favor of Dr. Nicholas Merriweather, a professor at Shawnee State University, whose leadership was attempting to force him to endorse an ideology that he doesn't believe. It's really a great victory in this ever-increasing showdown that we're seeing over so-called transgender rights. And joining us now to tell us more is Dr. Nicholas Merriweather and his attorney from Alliance Defending Freedom, Travis Barham. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Dr. Merriweather, you have had a long career, as I understand it, at Shawnee State. How did this conflict over pronouns and forced ideology first begin? Because I understand there was a student who confronted you about it. That's correct. Um, At the end of a political philosophy class, uh, a male student approached me. He demanded that I use feminine pronouns and titles that I basically refer to him as a woman. And when I tried to explain that this was something I really couldn't do, he went to the administration, and the administration disciplined me. That's crazy. in my file. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, he had become aggressive, hadn't he? That's what I understand about when you wouldn't go along with his demands, he became kind of intimidating to you. Well, he was upset at the time. That's correct. But the real problem was frankly, that the administration uh, decided that I would have to obey this new ideology, that I would have to effectively be coerced to endorse this ideology. Yeah. It's really not about the pronouns as much as it is about the ideology that I was being required to uh, to endorse. Absolutely. So he had filed a complaint with the university. They launched a formal investigation. What happened from there? I mean, what did they say they're, they're doing an investigation over pronouns? Was that what they actually told you? Well, it was over basically how I refer to a student. But it was effectively, again, that I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but that I, uh, I that I would affirm the ideology of gender identity as specified in university policy. Yes. So I would have to do that, whether I agreed with it or not. I would have to violate my conscience. I would have to violate my academic freedom in the classroom every time that I referred to a student like that. Goodness. Well, now, when you talk about university policy, was it part of university policy at the time this unfolded that you had to do this endorsement of transgender ideology? Was that specified in university policy? Uh, maybe Travis should speak to that. Okay. Yeah, Janet, the, 
The university officials interpreted their general non-discrimination policy to require Dr. Merriweather to endorse the transgender ideology as he's described. Uh, The policy doesn't say anything specifically about pronouns, but we went through multiple levels of internal review and the university made it clear that if he did not refer to the student as a woman, if he did not change the way he spoke, then he would be creating a hostile environment and discriminating against students. And that's just absurd. Yeah, that is absurd. But then there was a compromise offered, wasn't there, that the university refused? Oh, Dr. Merriweather offered several compromises. Uh, One of the first was that he would refer to the student by whatever name the student chose uh, and try to avoid pronouns when referring to that specific student. And initially, the university agreed to that uh, compromise until the student complained again. And then all of a sudden, that was off the table, and the university decided that Dr. Merriweather had to endorse an ideology and express ideas that he just doesn't believe are true. Right. Well, so right. then I think that could have been that was a, that was an excellent accommodation. I was perfectly comfortable with it. And the university just wouldn't have it because I didn't go far enough in endorsing the ideology. That was basically what was at stake there. Right. So then they put a warning in your personnel file at that point. Was that where it kind of ended? Well, at that, the point, though, is that if with that warning in my file, if it had happened one more time, I could have been fired. Wow. So. We, fought, we were able to file the lawsuit so that that was less likely to happen. It wasn't totally excluded. I mean, it could, it could still happen, I guess. Sure. Uh, maybe Travis can speak to that. But with that letter in the file, all that had to happen was one more student complain. And I say, well, look, I really can't do that. And then that could have been my, my, could have been my position at Shawnee State. Yeah. 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 Now, now, as a Christian, obviously, you're not going to endorse transgender ideology and especially not force transgender ideology via the university's demands. But what was your position? What did you explain to them as far as what you believe and why, as a Christian, what you believe is perfectly acceptable and they should have, they should have respected it? Well, my argument, I mean, I, I just simply said that God created us male and female. Um, I have a lot of other reasons why I was opposed to it, but basically, yes, I, as a Christian, I can't accept the fact that a, a, a man can be born a woman or a woman be born a man. Right. Uh, that does violate the clear meaning of Scripture and Christian tradition going back centuries. Right. And so for me to uh, speak in a way that would imply that I do not hold that view would have been in violation of my conscience and violation of my religious beliefs. Exactly. It would have also been it would have also been fundamentally uh, uncompassionate to the student. The student deserves to know when people disagree uh, with an idea that you know is is run that runs counter to reality and is and it's ultimately harmful to the student. And so when Dr. Merriweather expresses his beliefs, he's merely saying in a very understated way his views on this issue and in a way that somebody could hear and, and, and ponder on as they move forward. Right. So, Travis, in making the legal argument, what was the basis? Was it First Amendment based? Was it the issue that the Sixth Circuit had mentioned of the university should not be able to force ideology upon you know the views of its professors? What kind of tack did you take in the courtroom? Well, the university's actions in punishing Dr. Merriweather violated the First Amendment in a number of ways. It's, it's been long settled that under the First Amendment, the government cannot force you to say things you don't believe. And that's gone all the way back to the Pledge of Allegiance in the 1940s. Um, it's also clear under the First Amendment that the government cannot retaliate against you for expressing your beliefs and, and exercising your First Amendment rights. 
There's also the free exercise issue here of forcing someone to compromise their religious convictions and behave in a way that would uh, contradict those religious beliefs. So there's a number of First Amendment problems that the Sixth Circuit uh, recognized in its decision last Friday uh, that, that give rise to this lawsuit and that, give, that show why the university has overstepped its bounds in a very egregious way. Right. So when the Sixth Circuit made its ruling, what do you point to in their decision that's encouraging? I mean, the whole thing is encouraging, obviously, but in saying that Dr. Merriweather shouldn't have been forced to speak a message violating his beliefs, uh, they also opened the doors, I understand it, for him to sue for damages. Um, what, what of the ruling in particular was encouraging to you? The entire thing. And I don't mean to be trite in saying it that way, but it's it's just that good of a ruling, the, right. the whole thing from the top to the bottom. Um, it, the Sixth Circuit reaffirmed that Dr. Merriweather's First Amendment rights uh, can be – his First Amendment claims can be pursued. It reaffirmed that the government has no business forcing people to say things they don't believe. It reaffirmed that especially in a university setting – which is supposed to be the marketplace of ideas. Professors should not be punished for simply saying things that some people don't like. Um, it reaffirmed that um, public universities can't require professors to abandon their beliefs. Okay. And this is why universities are supposed to be a marketplace of ideas and not an assembly line for one type of thought. And it reiterated that this is an important principle for everybody, whether they're a professor or a student or, or an average citizen. Everybody has a stake in, in realizing that the government cannot force you to say things that you don't believe. That's right. So a victory for Dr. Merriweather here has been a victory for everyone. Oh, it's fantastic. Dr. Merriweather, we're, you must have been overjoyed when you got that ruling that you're really vindicated uh, in the courtroom, and that must have felt really good. Oh, that was fantastic. And there's actually been quite an outpouring of support that I've gotten uh, via email. And I'd say the, the pros are five to one, six to one. Uh, over against the people who disagree. I did want to add one thing, though, is that the student remained in the class for the entire semester and participated fully in what we did, and he made a good grade. Hmm. So it was, I, I thought the student made a decent contribution to the class, and I think the student got a lot out of the class. So the idea that my not being unwilling to use, uh, you know, certain pronouns with the student somehow affected his his, you know, his classroom experience. That's just not true. Yeah, well, that's encouraging. Well, so happy about this ruling, Dr. Nicholas Merriweather and Travis Barham. Thanks so much for being with us, gentlemen. God bless you, and we'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. On a 100-degree day in Ethiopia, Africa, hundreds gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and some walked an hour to be there. Afterward, Cademan frantically copied scriptures from an old Bible to a piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to his owner, one of only a few in that church to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, and is faithful at Sunday worship, but he's never read a single verse in his own Bible because he doesn't own one. Whoever comes our way and is able to give us a Bible, it will be a great blessing. 
We're partnering with Bible League International to send Bibles to 1,500 new believers in Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and every gift given right now will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Let's talk about Loudoun County, Virginia. This is the same area of the country that loves indoctrinating kids with graphics, sex ed. We've talked about that before out in that part of the nation. And now there's a feud between Loudoun County parents over teaching critical race theory in school. And this is leading to a police investigation. It's crazy out there. I'm telling you what, it is absolutely crazy out there. And this is from Fox 5 Washington. Listen to this story, cut one. Several parent groups are against critical race theory being implemented at Loudoun County schools. The school district says those ideas are not part of the curriculum, but this has pitted two parent groups against each other, leading in some cases to threats. I learned from a reporter that I had been put on a list in a private Facebook group and was look, that was looking to expose people and hack their websites for speaking out on, among other things, critical race theory. At a news conference Tuesday, Ian Pryor, a Loudoun County parent and former spokesman for the Trump Justice Department, says a group of parents from his organization, Loudoun Parents for Education, have been threatened for opposing critical race theory. It's a set of ideas that law and institutions are inherently racist. He and other parents in the group, like Jessica Mendez, point to students being taught about concepts like white privilege and systemic racism. Their criticism has led to posts on an anti-racist parents Facebook group where it appears people have proposed infiltrating Pryor's group and hacking their website. There's no evidence that's happened, but now the Loudoun Sheriff's Office is investigating. Loudoun County Public Schools says some critical race theory ideas are used in staff trainings. It's simply another big lie. Loudoun County NAACP President Michelle Thomas says parents are mistaking efforts to promote racial equity for critical race theory. She applauds the school system for its work. We have real lives at stake. We have real children that continue to be injured, um, you know, because of the type of insensitivity and cultural unresponsiveness of Loudoun County Public Schools. And the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office tells us it is looking into whether any comments or threats made in the anti-racist parents Facebook group could be a crime. Okay, first of all, 
Did you catch that woman saying that they have children in the school district who've been injured by cultural non-responsiveness? Don't worry, folks. There's no critical race theory being taught here. Go back to your homes. There's nothing to see. Injury via cultural non-responsiveness. Now, that is creativity at its finest. But no critical race theory here. What's funny about that particular report is they didn't get into the details as much as they should have. WTOP actually did going to their news site talking about this private parents education reform group saying that they're targeted for their opposition to critical race theory education in schools. Of course, they rephrase it as racial equity education. Oh, thank you, Kamala. I didn't know you were working for WTOP. Anyway, what they talk about here is the fact that one of the parents in this group, Austin Levine, said he's on a list of enemies created by a group led by the marching orders of one of the school board members. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't hear that in the other Fox 5 report at all. But they they, they were saying this at a recent school board meeting. This list included names... It included workplaces. It included where they lived. It included their perceived wrongs. The board member was named Beth Bartz, according to Levine. And he said all of this precipitated from a call of action from Beth Bartz. Unintended actions, those are forgivable, but intended consequences are not. So when they happen, there should be severe punishment. And this is what is leading now to this police investigation. Way to go. So you got school board members targeting parents. That's just terrific. But it's racial equity education. You know what? If you're doing something positive for children, if you're doing something that is genuinely educational or benefits the community, benefits families, you usually don't have to create enemies lists. That's something that Marxists like to do. And by the way, that's exactly what you get when you start going down the road with the critical uh, critical race theory proponents. But here's even more proof that the whole thing is ridiculous. Did you hear about this school teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools, same district we were just talking about, caught on tape telling a student that you have to see racial differences when observing people? (laughs) I'm going to set this up for you so you know exactly what you're listening to. This is video footage that was posted online showing a Virginia, Loudoun County, high school teacher berating a student for not acknowledging the race of two girls that are shown in a presentation slide. Now, since you can't see it, I'll describe it for you. There's a picture there and there's a white girl and there's a black girl standing next to one another. And this this exchange between this teacher and this student now caught on tape I'm going to play for you. Listen to this. Cut to the story behind this picture. Um, I'd rather hold on to that. Just tell me, tell me what, what this seems to be a picture of. It's just two people chilling. Right. Just two people. <laughs> There's nothing more to this picture. Nah, not really. Just two people chilling. I don't believe that you believe that. Um, I don't believe that you look at this as just two people. Um, I don't think truly it's just two people, though, is it not? Yeah, but I think you're being, I think you're being, um, I think you're being intentionally coy about what this is a picture of. <laughs> what would I be being coy about? It's two people standing back to back in a picture. Yeah, and that's all you see is two people. I, I'm, I'm confused on what you would like me to, to speak on in that I sense. I don't think you are. I don't know why you do this. Um, I'm not trying to call you out, but you could, you, you, you know, you come out off of mute 
to talk about what this is a picture of, and you act as if, as if you know, there's nothing noticeable about this apart from the fact that there are two people. Well, I'm confused. Are you trying to get me to say that there are two different races in this picture? Yes, is that what you want me to, to say? That. Well, at the end of the day, wouldn't that just be feeding into the problem of looking at race instead of just acknowledging them as two normal people? No, it's not because you you can't not look at you can't you can't look at the people and not acknowledge that there are racial differences, right? But if we're going for let's say if we're looking for equality within all this, then why would we need to point out things such as that? Because those things, those differences are real things. Yeah, no, no critical race theory here. No critical race theory being taught in the school district at all. So in, in the effort to get to a colorblind society, you have to acknowledge race, even though you look at the picture of a white girl and a black girl and all you see is two people, which is presumably what they want. Yes, we shouldn't be looking at people and seeing them as vastly alien to ourselves whether you're white or black or asian or what have you we're all americans so you look at a picture of two girls and you say there's two girls why can't you say that because you're not doing it right if they are to stir up and foment problems between americans as the left is determined to do and make people hate each other across racial lines which the left is determined to do because chaos leads to more leftist government power and that's what it's really all about then you're bothering them if you go back to a colorblind society and you say oh two cute little girls that bugs them because you're not being sufficiently divisive and we need divisiveness if we're going to destroy the country and remake it in the woke image. See, this is why we need more of this, not less of this. That's exactly what you should say. If you see a picture of a white girl and a black girl standing together, you could say those are two people chilling, as that guy did. Or you can say those are two cute girls. Or you can say two people or two Americans. Or Why do you have to see race in everything? See, this just points out a really, really salient point, And it is this. All of these accusations that the left is lobbying about racism are really hard to prove, aren't they? They're really hard to prove. And in many cases where they are assuming that there is racial hatred, it just plain doesn't exist. So they have to go back to critical race theory, which posits that you are by definition a racist and you can't undo it. You're a racist no matter what you say. So you are guilty and you can't ever be presumed innocent because you're presumed guilty. Now, that's a labyrinth you can't get out of, and you're not supposed to get out of it, because if you got out of it, people might get along and remind themselves that we live in a wonderful country that has given freedoms to everybody because those are freedoms given to us by God and government has acknowledged it. And this wonderful system and this wonderful constitution and founding documents that were handed down to us are the greatest that this world has ever produced. And it's produced more prosperity and more freedom and opportunity for people around the world than anywhere else in the world. And and we're not about to destroy our country from within by fighting amongst ourselves when we were all just getting along pretty well prior to Barack Obama entering into the presidency and then fomenting some of this racial strife. And I go back in history and you can see exactly what happened. If you don't remember that far back, we don't need racial strife. We need to have love for one another and we need to accept one another and we need to get along with one another. We're all Americans. And most of all, we need to remind people that Jesus Christ is Lord and that through him, there is no Jew or Greek, no male or female, no black, white or Asian. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And that's the best kind of unity of all. 
We've got to leave it there. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. Good to have you with us and we'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford today has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.